Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Hello, and welcome to this week's installment of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Well, we're nearing the end of summer with Labor Day fast approaching, but in fact, September through mid-October or sumtum, as some people like to call it, may be one of the best times of year for an extended family get-together. Most relatives have returned from far and wide family summer vacation travels. The weather remains mild, but most of us are over the extremely hot dog days of summer. Roads and airports are less clogged with summer vacation travelers, and late fall and winter storms are yet to come. And it's early in the school year, and if your kids miss a day or two, so what? Well, are you planning a large family reunion over the next few weeks or maybe later in the year? According to my next guest, festival and event management expert Lynn Fuller, if, you're, if they're done right, reunions can bridge the geographical and emotional distance in today's mobile society, and I might also point out today's electronic device-driven society. And Lynn Fuller is here with some valuable tips to ensure that your next family reunion, whether this September, next Thanksgiving, over the Christmas break, or sometime next year, is an unqualified success with fun had by all. And Lynn Fuller is a consultant, speaker, and author who successfully organized and promoted numerous festivals, as well as corporate and community events, including the largest free jazz festival in the southeastern U.S., and she's former tourism and convention director of Clearwater and Clearwater Beach, Florida, currently the number one beach destination in the whole USA, and she's author of the popular 2016 book, Secrets to Successful Events, How to Organize, Promote, and Manage Exceptional Events and Festivals. And hello, Lynn Fuller. It's great to have you on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, if, uh, if you're thinking about organizing a family reunion, how far in advance should we, you begin planning and getting your ducks in order? How much lead time to, wisely is it to have? In, in a perfect world, as you're ending one, you plan for the next one. However, I've seen these pulled together rather quickly, huh. and, and sometimes you can actually take an event that you already have planned and oh, expand it with a couple layers by including a few more family members. But yeah. uh, personally, I'd probably say 60 days. Um, oh, and I the see. biggest, the biggest um, indicator for me is how far people have to travel yeah, and how many people yeah. you'd like to include. If, uh, if for instance, a family is, lives in a, in a general area, yeah. And and folks won't have to travel very far. You can do those events a lot quicker. 
yeah, than you can if if you've got family that needs to fly in because yeah. they'll need to make um, they'll they'll need to make arrangements to. Yeah, to that travel. makes a lot of sense. And well, we have all uh, listeners all across the U.S. and Canada, but in general, can you suggest uh, the types of great locales to hold large family reunions, not overcrowded, accommodating both the young and old, and not prohibitively expensive or hard to get to? What types of uh, menus are good for those family reunions? Probably the one that's the ones that are going to be the most easiest to access would be those around what I would commonly call the hometown, where everyone grew up, oh, or yeah. where the vast majority of the relatives are. So you've got to give an audience right there that that's readily available. And if the group is a, a family that's scattered all across the United States, yeah. I have found that even going into the mountains, renting a series of cabins, is oh. a great way to do it. Uh, then everyone's still got their own, um, they can still enjoy their own family, but then they can also interact with the larger family. And, yes, and sometimes that's a great those, idea. I know I worked a couple summers in the YMCA of the Rockies in Nessus uh, Park, and they had all these cabins. That would be perfect for something like that because everyone could have their own cabin and, uh, you know, interact in common in the lodge and, and other places. And I've seen also along, say, the, the North Carolina coast, the Outer Banks, yeah. there are a lot of homes that are available for rent. And so as long you can, as the power is turned on. <laughs> yes, yes. As long as you're not down on, on Ocracoke, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's great. I've also seen family reunions that they'll pretty much come into. Uh, I just had a conversation with a woman yesterday, west coast of Florida, Mm. Uh, between Clearwater and St. Pete Beach, and she said she's doing lots of family reunions in the fall, oh. and it's a smaller property, but the entire the entire place is taken over by the entire family. Oh, that's and it, great! It works that well. So, and and the the shoulder seasons are normally when you're going to get better rates. Yeah, um, yeah So those true. are destinations, but also consider that your hometown is going to have pavilions at city yeah. parks, county yeah. parks. Inexpensive venues. Yeah. Um, you'll you'll need to worry a little bit about who's handling the food, and yeah. or if you're doing potluck or um, just having it catered. But then you need to make sure that you you're charging people a fair price for yeah. for all the food and, and beverages. Yeah. Well, a scary risk in taking the initiative to propose a family reunion is that you get stuck doing all the work, and then you take the blame if everything does not go, turn out perfectly. Let's say you've been volunteered or you raised your hand to coordinate your next family reunion. Any suggestions on how to delegate responsibilities so that you don't get stuck doing all the work and miss out on all the fun, pull your hair out in the process? But what I find is that you normally should have a small group of people where you can delegate different tasks to. Oh, I see. And, and that will allow you to see who actually has leadership skills or where you can intentionally cross-train them. Perhaps they're yeah. unaware of that. Yeah. cross-train them for some of the other things. Like you, you normally need someone to secure the location and, and yeah. lock in the date. You yeah. need someone to coordinate contacting people. And, and it's not just yeah. where, where you're not everyone is available to communicate by email, so you need no. to have the postal addresses yeah. and the Facebook addresses and the email addresses. You also need to have someone, and it's always the person that you love their food the most that you should put in charge of the food. <laughs> uh, 
And you know, you always, better have a, as you point out, you better have a treasure or something you can trust to yes, handle the money. Yes, <laughs> yes that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, I always like to put someone in charge of the activities, oh, and be yeah. it for the kids and or for the adults. And when it's possible, and it's going to be an entire weekend, yeah. fill the weekend with things people can do, be it the women uh, going out shopping, the uh, golf outing for the guys. Yeah. And quite often spouses get, get drug into family reunions, and so if you can <laughs> give them opportunities to kind of break away. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> oh, yes. It's, make them want to come back. Don't, don't make it a, 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 a story they'll, they'll tell forever. Um, and then I also think that the takeaways are important. So yeah, that I like that some, idea. It's uh, something you can remember the reunion by. Even a T-shirt or something like that would be mm-hmm. great. Or, uh, you mentioned Grandma's favorite potato salad or apple pie recipe. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's it's so true because those are once Grandma's gone, what yeah. happens with that recipe that's in her head? Yeah, and even true. so, so sharing it is is wonderful. A lot of times, you'll have some families that will create a a Facebook group page where you actually have to have someone allow you access to it, and not just yeah. the general public. And so, a lot of times, uh, family photos will be posted there. But you need to understand, not everyone is an internet person. No, so it seems to, like it, but that's true. There are well, still a few dinosaurs left. <laughs> yes, but but sometimes you exclude people when you don't when you really don't mean to. Yeah. And probably the most important thing is when it's all said and done, the thank you letters need to be sent. Oh yeah. And it's to the people that uh, coordinated the event. It's the family members that came in the greatest distance. Yeah. It, and, and you want to know that you can come back next year with your handout, yeah. and it will happen. But when yeah, that's so that often event, the most neglected part, I think, is not thanking the people who went to all that work, to, did all that work to organize it. But if it's fun and you've seen some leadership skills kind of bubble up from the folks that were helping, yeah. And you know you're not going to get stuck doing it all yourself. Yeah. It's so much easier to have people go, well, yeah, I, I had a great time. Let's do it again. Or, yeah. oh, yeah. I know Cousin Bobby wanted to do it, but uh, she couldn't make this year's <laughs> event. But I know yeah. that she'd love to help. Let me let yeah. me talk to her. Well, another common celebration of middle age is the good old high school class reunion. And for most of us, class reunions are either something we dread or we can't wait to attend. I think it all depends on how well we've aged, whether we've gained a bunch of weight or how successful we've been since high school. But at one point or another, many of us will participate in the class reunion committee. Any suggestions on how a committee can remove barriers to get more class members to attend? I know sometimes you get a lot of people, sometimes you don't at those. I usually find that those that live the closest are the ones least likely to attend. Yeah, but that's I, true. I didn't attend but, my last one. I went to school in the same town I currently live in. So no, guess, next time you're going. Next time you'll be there. But I, I think it's a matter of when, when we had one and we had some challenges with folks, and I made it a point to reach out to everyone. And some other folks that I've talked to who, who coordinate themselves, they said, I called everyone. I personally invited them to it. I wanted to make sure that if they had one of those, they weren't nice to me in high school, so why would I want to spend time with them now? Yeah. And it's kind of, you, you just need to get them across that hurdle to yeah. let them understand that we're not 
you know, back in high school anymore. Yeah. We've all matured. We should have matured. And it really, and, and, and when you don't go, you actually are not, you're hurting the folks that you ran around with that really yeah. would like to see you. So forget about the people that were mean to you then. You don't yeah. really need to even walk across the room and shake their hand. But you do need to recognize that you do have friends that really would like to see you. Yeah, I remember years ago there was a reunion we had and. Uh, I really wasn't planning to go, but this lady that I was not real close with in high school or anything, but she called three or four times, and uh, by golly, she won me over, and I went. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a great yes. suggestion. Well, at some yes. point in our lives, many of us will, uh, will become involved in organizing and promoting a festival, maybe a church or community or company event. And tell us about your 2016 book, Secrets to Successful Events. Uh, who is it a book primarily written for? Is it for novice organizers or uh, first-time organizers? Or how about seasoned professionals that uh, maybe do it for a living or do it every year and want more pizzazz and better financials in their next event? Who should read your book? The book is geared towards folks that do festivals and events that are more outdoor in nature, that require volunteers, and that in some cases need sponsors to do the event. So I walk through how do you get your committee together, how do you find sponsors, how do you uh, book entertainment if you're having entertainment or if you need exhibitors, very similar. It also discusses concessions. So, and even if you're having food, there are things that a lot of people will not think about uh, w- when booking a venue and what's all involved yeah. in food and electricity and, and things. Yeah, there's that, so many issues involved. Yes. It's easy yes. to overlook when you're starting and, the planning and, process. And even travel. There's a lot involved with travel yeah. that that, um, that people just don't realize. So it yeah. it really can work for a lot of different kinds of events, yeah. but... If it's an outdoor function, and again, some of it for a family reunion, there may be aspects of it that are just more than they need to know. But it also talks about the different personality types that gravitate towards events to help, which I find fascinating. Uh, how to do if you have to do a contract if for instance you are doing a concession contract for, for food, or if you're doing a contract for entertainment. All good stuff in there. Now, there is a resource guide that can accompany this book. Yeah, I was just going to talk about that. It's a brand-new resource guide. Tell us about that. uh... That is actually, if you've got experience with events already and you you pretty much feel comfortable with it, but say, for instance, the person that had all of your paperwork, the contracts, all of that, well, you don't have to recreate them. They're all in the book. There are sample news releases. There are sample... um, contracts, uh, thank you notes, just lots of little things that if you don't have to spend the time and energy to recreate them, yeah. they're there so you can just yeah. borrow them. to be. What to I like be, about you know. your book is it's accommodating the folks who maybe are primarily concerned with only one or two aspects of the event or if all of the aspects, you've got them in there, but uh, say if you just wanted to learn about obtaining sponsors, you have a chapter on that or a section on that and uh, or public relations or whatever. I like the way that's uh, laid out your book. But uh, where best should we go to preview and purchase your book, uh, Secrets to Successful Events, and the uh, guide, the resource guide that you can buy with it, along with it? They're available on Amazon as well as at major booksellers. Oh, I see. Well, that's good. 
Well, uh, and one further, uh, further question. Give us your website address just in case uh, somebody wants to learn more about you and your books and resources you offer and maybe get in touch with you. What's your uh, website address? You can go to Lynn, L-Y-N-N, last name F-U-H-L-E-R dot com. Well, that's simple enough. <laughs> Even I found that. Well, in conclusion, then, an extended family reunion can be a wonderful event in so many ways. Face-to-face contact with family members you rarely, if ever, see, perhaps a first meeting ever for your kids with a cousin or a great aunt that they'd only uh, heard about before, maybe a last meeting with an aging relative who may have passed or be too feeble to travel the next time you meet, and communication live and in, fa- in person with family members is such a wonderful remedy to our society's current malaise of communicating entirely by cell phone and email. On the other hand, without proper planning and organization, a family reunion can be a disaster, especially for you, the organizer, who gets stuck with most of the tasks that you fail to delegate, endless disputes over dates, venue, activities, and and, uh, invitations, pitiful attendance where only a few family members show up, poorly planned finances where you or a few willing organizers get stuck putting most of the bill, and uh, new relationship ruptures that can go on for years. (laughs) But if you're uh, certain you're involved in planning a family reunion, class gathering or other type of festival or celebration, or even if you're thinking about it, I highly recommend you go to Lynn Fuller's website, lynnfuller.com, and preview her book, Secrets to Successful Events, and its companion uh, work uh, book that has all those forms and stuff in it. And uh, on her site, you'll also find Lynn's nine key steps to organizing a family uh, reunion, and that's a free download you can uh, copy onto your uh, and have in front of you at any time, and uh, I'm more than certain you'll be thankful you did so. And thank you so much, Lynn Fuller, for your sound event planning advice. My pleasure. Thank you. Here's a bleak scenario. Most Americans are as unprepared for retirement as the U.S. was for Pearl Harbor in 1941. That's the warning of Roger Allen Friedman, veteran chartered planning counselor and financial industry executive, and you may recall that Roger was a guest on our May 8th show. The good news, the bleak scenario doesn't have to include you, but the time to take control of your own retirement is now, and to help, Roger Friedman has prepared a brand-new special report titled The Beneficiary Minefield, 19 Retirement Account Mistakes You Must Avoid. And regardless of your age today, this special report is a must-read for anyone that, with an IRA or other type of retirement account. And if you don't have one now, it's high time to get started, isn't it? And Roger's special report is chock full of information, information you should consider before you retire, not after. Read it, study it, and become educated on what might be the most important topic for a joyful, hassle-free carefree retirement and you can find roger's extremely helpful special report online at rogeronretirement.com slash shop that's r-o-d-g-e-r on retirement.com slash shop check it out today well, are you planning a vacation yet this summer or perhaps early this fall or over the christmas holidays in december 
Like a lot of us at middle age, the sandwich generation, you feel obligated to spend time on your vacation with insistent elderly parents. Of course, you love them, and it's noble to spend extended holiday or vacation time at least once a year with aging parents or with your spouse's parents, and it's all right to feel obligated to do so. But ask yourself, do you honestly believe that you will return home from vacationing with one or two inflexible, demanding octogenarians more relaxed than when you departed? Well, best of luck. Your odds are very long indeed. And my next guest, transformational coach and elder care expert, Carol Ann Hamilton, is here to help you answer the question, how much do I really owe to my intransigent, sometimes toxic parents? both when I'm on vacation and throughout the year, and she promises to help us to set boundaries, find me time, and end uh, long-standing family traditions that you dislike, and focus on aspects of the vacation that will restore our sanity. And Carol Ann Hamilton brings over 25 years' experience as an organizational development specialist and most recently as an elder care advocate, and she suffered for years as primary caregiver for two toxic parents who became increasingly insufferable as they grew older, and when faced with her own nightmare, she learned how to cope and now is on a mission to coach other caregivers who are battling self-doubt and burnout, and she's author of several books, including the one we'll highlight today, Coping with Uncopable Parents, Loving Action for Elder Care. And hello, Carol Ann Hamilton. Welcome to our program. It's indeed an honor to have you with us. Roy, it is such a delight that you invited me to be with you and your precious audience today. I thank you for that warm introduction. Well, to begin our conversation, I'd like to discuss three possible vacation scenarios involving one or more elderly parents and how we could uh, make the best of them. Now, let's say vacation scenario number one involves opening your own abode or house, (laughs) for those of you who don't know what an abode is, for several days to disagreeable members of the extended family, maybe your cranky, demanding mom or dad, or perhaps a somewhat obnoxious uncle or aunt. And we all know that fish and visitors smell after three days, and for you it doesn't even seem like a vacation. How best can you ensure that you and your spouse are not taken advantage advantage of uh, during your vacation or over the holidays by being uh, basically a bed and breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah, because that's exactly what it amounts to, isn't it, really? And I invite everybody listening in to think about how we always teach others how to treat us. So let me start with a few strategies and then back it to a little bit of a higher level, Roy, if I might. So if we really have to have those, those cranky elders of whatever sort stay with us, then I'm going to suggest a couple of boundary setting techniques, both in the morning and in the evening, meaning before you even open your own bedroom door. Would you please consider setting your intentions for the day, getting centered yourself, because you know that the minute you open that door, you are going to be subject to every bubbling family dynamic that has ever existed during vacations and otherwise. And until the time that you close that door, you're going to be, you know, by by that time, you're going to be letting go of 
built up frustration and annoyances in the hopes that you can even sleep remotely, peacefully, or soundly. So in between, this is about creating some very clear expectations and boundaries around your family life so that how about this your folks need to fit in with your daily calendar and not the other way around and that's yeah. what brings me oh please go ahead Roy no yes. I was going to say yes that sounds exactly like what you should do <laughs> you, you know and so right rather than the other way around and so we come to a really pivotal question that will guide, I believe, our conversation throughout, and that is, why, again, would you actually even want to do this, except if you're operating out of guilt or shoulds? Because, you know, the typical U.S. employee gets 10 paid vacation days per year. That's yeah. quite no, in contrast with other countries. That's and to the degree true. that you have your, what we call, unculpable parents staying with you in your home, you, every single day reduces that amount of, you know, paid vacation, which is yeah. intended to recuperate and recover you from your workplace. So yeah. I'm asking, just how much do you actually need to do here? Just a seed to plant. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about vacation scenario number two. You feel obligated to return to your childhood home and or your spouse's childhood home at least once every year. And frankly, you and your spouse are very tired of this routine. It keeps taking you from the vacation of your dreams, and it often brings back unfortunate childhood memories, maybe along with some good ones. But how do you get out of this year's visit without deeply offending your parents so that you can go where you'd really like to go? <laughs> well, isn't that the case? And so let's just say for, for those who are, are with us, okay, you can't get out of it. Yeah. Then if you have to stay in the child at home, you just know it's going to be layered with all of the energy. All of a sudden, you become like the 12-year-old. I know this for a fact from staying with my dad while I was still supporting him. Yeah. you know, in his aging years. And he would have loved nothing better, frankly, than for me to just trot down the hallway and stay in that bedroom that looks quite similar to, to how I left it uh, after high school and university and so on. Hasn't changed much across the years from the 1970s, Roy. Yeah. And so that was just kind of odd and uncomfortable to say the least. So yeah. I would seal myself almost literally into the living room couch, which had, um, you know, furniture from my grandmother and so on. And it was much less laden with some of the parental memories, shall we say. It was a oh, more right. neutral zone. Yeah. So I would find a place in the household that was not so odd for a 59-year-old woman now. And on top of it, I asked the question, if you're really traveling to their hometown, could you perhaps entertain a hotel nearby? That is actually what I wound up doing during the yeah. latter years with my dad, whether it was whilst he was hospitalized at the end of his life or certainly even on visits to support him with groceries and so on. And I think that that setting was, was much more appropriate. 
or if there's an expectation that you actually need to spend time not just in the home but also doing things together, depending if you do have uh, children, then how many outings can you do in fresh air or in public so that you also get yourself out of the energy that brings back so very many of those childhood memories. Those are a few suggestions if you're traveling to visit their hometown. Let's talk about scenario three. For the past several years, you've taken your kids along and traveled uh, or met at a location with your elderly parents. I don't know if they traveled with you or you met there. And there's now three or more generations sharing the locale, probably a small beach cottage or a mountain cabin. What, if any, rules and boundaries can you set in advance to keep your elderly parents from getting in on the teenager's nerves and vice versa to avoid three to four weeks of intergenerational warfare and retain your sanity? How do do you deal with those uh, multi-generational type situations? Isn't isn't that the case too? And uh, and so, given the fact that our talk has as uh, one of its themes almost like setting new rules of engagement, what I'm about to answer is how can we already even use the summer vacation period to set some new boundaries? Shall we say for the upcoming holiday seasons? You referenced uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Boy, if if summer is laden, then even it's worse come November and December. So I'd suggest first, absolutely what we focus on expands. Always, Roy, means to say that we have something like sixty to 70,000 average thoughts per day. And the summer vacation with the difficult intergenerational issues must, I'm sure, consume many thousands of those thoughts per day. So if we think about how crazy-making this exercise is or is going to be, then that is also what we're going to expand or experience, shall we say. So again, how is it possible to agree, say, to have meals together? I do that even with my husband when I'm on vacation. We have two separate types of enjoyments when we when we travel together we meet up over meals which is great but then we each get to do our own thing during the daytime is yeah, it possible so to do the same thing with your elders and i want to suggest back to the when you know they're staying in your home and so on can you find some ways to turn in early or take some extra sleep time so that you minimize what that expectation is, and that is back to how much of this, call it summer aggravation, <laughs> do you even want to put yourself through, and is it time to establish some new expectations? Yeah, that's, that's a very good idea. Let's Let's turn for a moment to the broader issue of coping all year long with the uh, ultimately uh, difficult uh, parents and ultimately maybe becoming the primary caregiver for an aging parent. And uh, on your website, you offer a free download of 13 survival tips when caring for your elderly parents. We don't have time to go into all 13, but can you please give us maybe the top three survival tips to help us as stressed out caregivers to survive this grueling, as you call it, elder care marathon? 
<laughs> Indeed, Roy. Thank you for mentioning that because the number one tip, if I say nothing else, is going to actually be called Q-tip. I know we think it's a device for cleaning ears, and it actually stands for quit taking it personally. Q-tip, because uh, your aging parents will get on your nerves, and a lot of the time what they say and do has nothing to do with you. And so it's really how do we master in the second realm our own mindsets so that we don't allow them to get to us so much. And why is that important is because did you know that caregivers, primary caregivers of aging parents have, get ready for it, a 63% higher death rate than their peers who do not carry this burdensome responsibility. And so if we do not attend to our own self-care as caregivers, then we are at risk of greater long-term disease in the form of heart, arthritis, diabetes, and otherwise. So yeah, what I'm really trying to say... Yeah, counterproductive to neglect our yeah. needs by caring for another person. Exactly, exactly. Thing. And so that's why the bigger umbrella of this conversation is really what do we need to do for ourselves, not just how to appreciate that the parents want to spend that, you know, remaining vestige of time together, but how do we really balance in what we need to do for us so that we are available to see them through their own transitions. Yeah. Well, let's uh, turn a bit to this uh, book. I love the title of Coping with Uncopable Parents, Loving Action for Elder Care. And if uh, you can only say one thing to your readers of your book, those in the sandwich generation, what would it be? What primary message would you most like readers to take away from your book? After all is said and done, because I know that this can be a very grueling chapter of life, and the title is provocative, especially for people who see their parents as having had a loving relationship all through their years. I understand how it could be difficult for some people to see such a title. I journeyed, Roy, from really a sense of desperation in taking on my two toxic parents through to inspiration and finally hope, and I want folks to know whatever their situation, this chapter of life, so replete with demands, also holds the opportunity to heal long-standing family dynamics. And much as we are now almost five years since my dad passed away and seven since my mom, I remember and cherish those last conversations, particularly with my dad. We were babysitting the 1970s era wash machine. Can you even believe that? And while we were in the laundry room together, he would impart such meaningful stories from his earlier life and those are the treasures that I take from those last conversations and what I'm saying is they healed a lot of the standing family dynamics. I I am very transparent in my sharing about coming from a dad who battled alcoholism and a mother who battled paranoid schizophrenia. So you can imagine it was not popular to take on their caregiving as an only child, but the lasting legacy 
was that we had those moments, and I shall treasure them always. Well, where should we go to preview and purchase your book? I, I'd like to get a hold of that, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners would also. And indeed, it's absolutely available at the very same website where you quote the freebie download. So that's www.copingwithuncopableparents.com. And so I would invite people to explore the same it. The title of the book, then. Same title as the book, yeah, copingwithuncopableparents.com. I notice on your website you also offer your services as an elder care coach. And should they go to the same website if they'd like to uh, retain? And I know you go through a process of uh, determining whether the client and you would be a good combination. And uh, it sounds like a great procedure you have, but they should go to the same website for that as well. Absolutely, Roy, and that will be then that they can fill out a few brief questions so that we can have a readiness session together and explore if we're a good match. Yes. Oh, that's, that's great. Well, in conclusion, so often the crises of uh, stubborn elderly parents in rapid physical and mental decline hits us at the worst possible time. We're in our peak earning years, striving to do our jobs as best we can and advance our careers. Our kids are just now entering or are entrenched in their preteen or teenage years, establishing their independence from the old fogey mom and dad and beginning to get ready for college, the military, or their first real job. And some of us may even have our own little grandkids vying for our attention. And the last challenge we need right now is a hassle of an elderly parent or parents who refuse to give up their traditional ways of doing things and in short, we have neither the time nor the energy for the elder care challenge, but we get it anyway. And as Carol Ann Hamilton puts it, apart from bringing up an infant, no other time of life will leach so much energy from your precious reserves. And one thing for sure, don't attempt to handle a parental care challenge all by yourself. And here are a couple of worthy uh, caregiving objectives, as Carol Ann uh, spells them out. Gain the peace of mind knowing that you've done everything you can to ease your parents' final days, and those final days may be very rewarding, as Carol Ann just described, and stay healthy physically, mentally, and emotionally all the while so you can do your best while you guide elderly parents through their many issues issues that are often painful for them, even life-threatening to them, like giving up driving. I, I know Carol Ann has a great uh, chapter in her book about when she took the keys away from the 88-year-old father, and nobody wants to give that up. And as Carol Ann relates in her book and on her website, she's been there and done that, spent several long years as a primary caregiver, and she's helped many others as coach. And I highly recommend you go to Carol Ann's website, copingwithuncopableparents.com, order her free 13-tip download, preview her book, and um, become aware of her coaching services and how they might help you. And thanks a million, Carol Ann, for joining us here today. We'd love to have you back on a future program to discuss other aspects of the uh, elder care challenge we face today. Roy, thank you so very, very much for having you on and for your gracious hosting. I commend your whole theme around middle age can be your best age, and I am delighted to have contributed to that theme today. Well, thank you so much, and best of success in getting your message out there. It's such a crucial one, and to uh, 
you folks out there. It won't be too many years until we're the elderly parents that need care. <laughs> so we should think now of ways we can spare our offspring from the uh, unpleasant uh, carryover dealing or caregiver dealings we now uh, we may now face. So that uh, what goes around turns around. In other words, so that's another reason why. Uh, Carol Ann's website and her book would be very helpful. And see you next time on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 